Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians, the third chapter, verses 18 through 21. If you're using the Pew Bibles, that'll be page 1047. Wives, submit to your own husbands as it's fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being with us. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We've had a lot to be thankful for, and last Sunday was a tremendous Sunday with the mission's emphasis. And on that, we're reminded of how thankful we ought to be of all the great things that has been taking place around the world that God has given us the opportunity to be involved in but also the weight of responsibility with all the opportunities that he gives us into the future weighs heavy and it ought to drive us to our knees and we ought to be fervently prayerful about all the opportunities that God gives us to be involved in mission work. I wanna just briefly remind you again of the mission work in Brazil with the team that is being put together of the Let's Start Talking. And if you wanna be a part of that going to Brazil, uh, for two weeks, and then if you have the opportunity to remain longer than two weeks, that's an option you'd have also. If you wanna learn more about that work that will take place this summer, please see Doug Perry. The need is there right now to start putting that team together. And if you know of those that could be a part of that, or if you could be a part of that, help network that together. And then also keep in mind, if you would like to financially support uh, that work that will take place, that will be a need also. Now, thinking about mission work, as Philip has already mentioned, uh, many of you will be leaving and going to El Salvador uh, this week. We're thankful for that opportunity. Let's all be prayerful about that and be involved from our heart and from our prayer life in this. The result of that is I'll be away Sunday and we're looking forward to Daniel Nordstrom preaching Sunday morning. He spoke at our elders, deacons retreat this year, and his lesson was powerful. And several walked away saying, the church family needs to hear a, a version of that study. And so he'll do that Sunday morning and you will be thankful to be here. And then also on Sunday evening, Doug Williams uh, will be preaching. And so we look forward uh, to those tremendous lessons that we know will be brought on Sunday. Also, the elders have asked me to mention a couple of things to you. The elders are constantly trying to care for our souls and for that we're deeply grateful. Their responsibility is great. The burdens are heavy. They wanna help those of you that are dealing with chronic illness. And so they've asked Bud Lambert to, to start a support group. And so if chronic illness is affecting your life, it's affecting you spiritually, emotionally, and in any way, if it's something that you feel like you need help dealing with at seven o'clock in the conference room on fourth Wednesday evenings, this group will begin to meet uh, this month. And so if you have more questions, you can first see your Sunday bulletin. If that doesn't answer all your questions, you can call the church office and we can try to find the answers to your questions about that. We want 
to work and to serve and to live together in our faith and in our life and the challenges that we face. Another announcement that the elders have asked me to spend a few minutes elaborating upon today. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we mentioned to you that there had been some pretty substantial changes in the U.S. postal system and the way that our bulletin was being mailed. Because of those changes, it caused us to sit down and to think, is this really the best way uh, for us to communicate with our church family? And what I mean by the best way is I mean simply the exact way that we have been doing it now for many, many decades. And so it caused us to just kind of rethink again. And if we were going to start all over again, what would we say would be the most effective way? This is what is going to be uh, the new change, if you will. And we'll see how it works for a few months. And hopefully it's real effective and it's real efficient and we'll continue on. And if not, we'll make the changes we need to make. I think you know this, but we need to say this. To us as, as ministers and staff and to our elders, we regularly talk about whether or not we are effective in communication. Uh, we really do want to communicate clearly. And if you ever have been a teacher or if you've led a group, you know this. Communication is difficult. It's not easy to effectively communicate. And so we have a rule in the office that if you haven't told them five times, you haven't told them once. And so we, we try to figure out all kinds of different ways to get messages out every week. Well, here's what we're going to try for a while, and we hope that it's very effective. I hold up before you right now three documents that you are very familiar with. You're familiar with a Sunday bulletin. You're familiar of coming back in on Wednesday evening and picking up an announcement sheet that are updates carried over from Sunday bulletin. And then you are very familiar with going to your mailbox on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday and receiving uh, the messenger. And so the plan is, beginning next Sunday... The Sunday bulletin and the messenger, in a sense, will merge. And so when you walk in next Sunday, what you typically think of the Sunday bulletin will not be available, but most, if not almost, all of the content of the Sunday bulletin will be in a document like this that we call the messenger. But it will be a little bit different from the messenger you receive in the mail throughout the years. What will not be in here will be the good news section that we usually begin in the office to create on Monday and Tuesday, referring to the things that have happened over the weekend. Obviously, that will not be in a document that you pick up on Sunday morning. The second thing that will not be in here is what we typically have called the inside article that is usually a teaching article. Or if someone has passed away, we write an article in, in honor of their memory, like the one this week is of Miss Dovey Bush. So in order to receive those bits of information, you have two options. And this is where we think it's, we know it's much more efficient because you would be getting it on the day that it's written instead of five days after the day it's written. And that is, you see on the bottom line there, we're going to begin what we're going to refer to as an e-messenger, but you will not receive it at one time. On Mondays, you will receive in your email, the e-good news. That's it. Nothing more. So if you say, yes, I want to receive the e-messenger on Monday, you will receive the e-good news. On Wednesday, you will receive the, the, in the e-messenger an article. And again, it'll be either a teaching article or about someone that, that we're honoring in the congregation, their memory. And then 
We will, on Wednesday evenings, for those of you that say, but I don't receive email. On Wednesday evening, those two documents will be just simply uh, a cut and a paste and put on a hard copy, an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, and they will be available for you to pick up near the information center on Wednesday evening. So if you pick up the messenger on Sunday and you pick up this document on Wednesday evening, you have received everything that you've received in the past on Sunday and in the mail. And if you prefer to receive it through the email, of course, it'll be the most efficient. Now on Friday, we will do something new that will be additional and we predict that it's gonna be greatly appreciated. And that is on Friday, you will receive a very, very, very short e-messenger and it's simply an update. The goal is to not have more than four or five lines on that update. Let's just make up some things. For example, the first line might read, men's breakfast this weekend. The next line might read, missions Sunday, this Sunday. The next line might read, the great old youth group supper this Sunday. On any of those lines, if you wanna know more about them, you just click on them. And when you click on them, that link will take you to the announcement to tell you everything you need to know there. The final line on that update will be uh, those to serve. And if you forgot to pick up a bulletin and you wanna know if you're down to serve in the library, uh, in the uh, nursery, or if you're down to serve at the Lord's Supper, you click on that. And then the good news from there is there'll also be an email there that you can immediately contact the person that needs to know if you're gonna be out of town and not be available to serve at that point. And so we think that'll be a great blessing. All right, so how does this work? On this next slide, you see an email address that if you want to receive the e-messenger, you need to send your email address to that address. But note this, for all of you that your email is already in family tree, you will receive it this next week. If you say, I don't want to receive this, all you do at the bottom of it will be a place to unsubscribe. Now, please note this. If you do not want to receive the Mondays, you unsubscribe to Monday. If you don't want to receive the Wednesday, you unsubscribe to Wednesday. If you do not want to receive the Friday, you unsubscribe to that. But each of these in the future will work as different mailing lists. And so if you want to subscribe to those, please be sure and do that. Now, just another little note out of nowhere that I'll be honest with you, it's a selfish announcement. Every week I go to email one of you about something related to the church and I go to Family Tree and your email's not on Family Tree. And I want to encourage you to please, if, you know, unless, you know, back in the old day when you had unlisted phone numbers, unless you want an unlisted email account, please go in and update it because it helps so much to be able to carry out the work of the church if we can communicate with each other. So uh, it was a great, great help if you let your church family know how to communicate with you. And so if you haven't taken the time to go on Family Tree and just update if you, know, if you don't mind the church family having your phone number, your cell number, update it. If you don't mind them having your email, update it so that we can stay in touch with each other. Please let me know what this leaves you confused about and we'll try tonight to clarify anything, but that's several changes and it's changes in things in the way that we've done things for decades. And we understand that that sometimes creates a, hey, but how's this gonna happen? Uh, we do have a way for shut-ins that are going to be able to receive the messenger 
and, uh, and the updates. And so know that that is also being covered to the best that we can. Uh, but we look forward to, to working through all this and making it better than it's ever been. A coach stops in the middle of the game. He calls time out and he walks over to the little boy and he says, son, do you understand that we play? We play as a team together. He says, yes, sir. He says, son, do you understand how important good sportsmanship is? He says, yes, sir, I understand. He says, son, do you understand that when you don't like the ref's call, you do not turn and start chewing him out? He says, yes, sir, I understand. He says, son, do you realize when you don't like to play at first base, you don't yell at the opposing team? He says, do you understand that? He says, yes, sir, I understand. He said, will you please go over and explain that to your mother? Isn't it interesting when we think about parenting and so often people will immediately start talking about kids these days, kids these days, they don't show respect, kids these days, they're not responsible, kids these days, we don't like the way they behave, but yet most of those kids, they're doing exactly what their parents do and they're doing exactly what their parents have trained them to do. Listen, kids are not born to be bad. There is, it is a rare occasion to have a bad kid without having poor parenting. Good kids, as a rule of thumb, are the result of good parenting. Kids that misbehave and they create problems for society are the result of parents that have not trained their child as a rule of thumb. Now, are there exceptions? Yes, as they grow older and they get old enough to make decisions on their own, they can decide to rebel if they want to rebel. They can decide to live against the values and, and even the God that their parents have taught them. But we're talking about throughout the years when they're young and we're talking about the rule of thumb. The rule of thumb is this. Parenting is powerful. And so we think about parenting in the kingdom. Parenting in the kingdom looks completely different than parenting in the world. I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment of where we've been going in the book of Colossians. And we're not going to have some slides on this for just a minute, and then we will. But if you have your Bibles, I ask you to open up to Colossians. You remember in Colossians 1 and 13 and 14, we've been talking about the fact for some time in the study of Colossians that we can live in the world, but if we want out of the world, we can't get out of the world by ourselves. We have to be delivered. And it's only Christ's redemption, his forgiveness of sins, his shedding of blood, that we can be delivered from this world in the darkness of it. And we can be delivered into the kingdom of his son, of his love. In other words, we live under the reign of God. Living under the reign of God is very different from living under the darkness of the world. Being a parent under the reign of God is very different from being a parent in the world. On this screen here, you see that most people, when they think about the book of Colossians, and remember Ephesians is a sister epistle, they're written in a very systematic way. For example, in Colossians, if you look at the first two chapters, it is obvious that things that are being talked about are being talked about from the aspect of a study of God. And then you go to chapter three and chapter four, and what it does then is say, now, if you understand God, how does that affect the way you live and walk and behave? 
And it's the same way in Ephesians. But notice here in Colossians, I, I didn't put this on the screen so that you could read it because probably a lot of you are saying, I, I can't read that. But I just cut and paste what would be a general breakdown of this book. And the reason I want you to see it is, is notice how at the top, there are only two major divides there. And, and of, the first, of the first divide, you see that the emphasis is placed upon Christ. And it says, Christ is our Lord. And, and in this we see in Colossians 1, he's the Lord of creation, he's Lord of the church, he's Lord of ministries, he's the Lord of our walk, he's the Lord of our salvation, he's Lord of our growth. That's chapter 1 and 2. In other words, if you want to study about any of those topics, you're going to study about it from the fact that it's the Lord's reign over these things. Then you go into chapter 3 and 4 and the breakdown is our mind, our body, our attitude, our actions with our relationships as we're studying this morning. And then even in chapter 4 about how that affected Paul's love for other people. In other words, do you understand God? Theology simply means study of God. Have you studied God? Do you know your king? Chapter 1 and 2. If you know your king, it is going to affect the way you live. Now, if you have your Bible still open there to Colossians, if you go back in your memory, and I know this is probably asking a little bit much, but if you go back in your memory three Sundays ago, three Sundays ago, we studied the first 17 verses of the third chapter to say that there's this principle that we all are to live by if we have been risen with Christ. And then that's what affects the text that's been read today. In other words, what kind of wife are we going to be? What kind of husband? What kind of parent? What kind of child are we going to be? Well, it's going to be whether or not we live as kingdom people or are we going to live as worldly people? But what I want you to see that when we really study a breakdown of the books, and I'll go ahead and show you Ephesians where if you want to go back this afternoon and just flip through the pages of Ephesians, notice here, Ephesians is six chapters long. And it's the, it's the same, it's written in the same system. And that is the first three chapters are about theology. They're about the study of God. The first section is about the sovereignty of God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is about the grace of God, the mercy and the love of God. And Ephesians 2, 11 through 3 and 21 is about the reconciliation that is brought to God. In other words, you study God on those topics. And then the last three chapters of the book, remember the fourth chapter is about our unity in the church. And when we go into the fifth chapter, we see this walk that we, we have. Uh, and, and he goes into the relationship in both of these books of the husband, the wife, the parent, the child, the servant, the master. He does that in both of these books. But notice, he doesn't talk about the way we live in those ways, those, those roles. He doesn't talk about that until he first talks about God. Do you understand? Do you know God? Because you can't live what God wants you to live if you do not know God. And so what I want us to do today is I want you to simply know how powerful that is when we read, for example, in Colossians, the third chapter, listen to what he says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Or when you go over to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and you read verse four, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Look, by themselves, those are two powerful verses, but they carry much greater teaching and weight when we recognize the setting they have in the book. 
I know it's going to sound redundant, but let me say it one more time and we'll move on. In other words, the setting in the book has been Paul saying, let me tell you for the first half of this book about who God is. And if you as a parent, now see, here's where we're getting into parenting. If you as a parent, you know who God is. You know that he is the Lord of your life then you can go out and live on a daily basis the life that a godly parent should live. In other words, we make a mistake when we teach godly parenting as if it is simply a list of do's. Do this as a parent, do this as a parent, do this as a parent, where God doesn't begin there. God always begins with, hey parents, who are you? It doesn't matter all these things you do if you aren't going to be the right person. God's call for parents to be godly parents is that first, the parent has a strong relationship with God. Then they become concerned with how they're going to turn to the next generation. Today, I'd like for us to see this out of two texts and it's powerful both places. We'll come back tonight to a text in Psalm 78. But this morning, let's spend a little bit of time in Deuteronomy 6. Be turning there. And as you're turning there, I want you to notice this slide here. Parents equipped to raise godly children. That's what we want to be thinking about today. Are we equipped to do God's will in our lives and in our children's lives? When we think about the time that our child is born and we think about if they're going to leave home at 18, whether they're going in the service or off to college or, or to work somewhere, there is roughly around 58,200 working or awaking hours that, that we have in the life of that child. Now, let's say that, that we brought them to Bible class on Sunday and Wednesday and that we brought them to worship on Sunday morning, Sunday night. That's 3,744 hours. That should tell us as teachers how important it is. We have, we have thousands of hours in the lives of children. We need to make the most of those hours. What a wonderful investment it is that parents bring their children to invest that. What a wonderful investment it is that we have parent uh, teachers that are willing to invest in the lives of children. And so we're talking about something really beautiful. But look at that next number and we have it kind of blown up on the next slide. What that does is that leaves, if you take the time that they're asleep and you take the time that they're in Bible class and worship and you take those hours out, that leaves around 54,456 hours that your child is awake. And we say, what are we doing with that time? As parents, how much of that time are we very conscious and intentional in making sure that we are investing in the spiritual life of our child? And so I'd like for us to spend the rest of the day just, just thinking about that, but much more than thinking, studying about what God would say, how this ought to look. In Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, we have what is oftentimes called the second law. And of course, it's not that God gave the children of Israel two different laws. It's just remember the first time they came over to the edge of the promised land, they, they stood there without faith. They listened to the 10 spies that had a wicked report and they didn't believe God. And so God punished them. And the punishment was that they would go back and they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years and all the adults would die. The younger generation would be raised up and that generation 40 years later would come back to the edge of the promised land and Deuteronomy is written as a result of what Moses would say to them at that point. 
He didn't want them to be guilty of the same thing that their parents were guilty of. Unbelievers is how Hebrews 3 and 4 describes those parents. And so he's pleading with them, don't be unbelievers like your parents. Instead, his plea to them is move forward in faithfulness, focus on God, and then the second thing we'll see in just a moment. Look with me, and we don't have a slide for this, so if, if you turn in your Bible, it's on page 165 in the Bible, it's in the pew there, 165. But notice, we want to read the first uh, six verses here, and notice in these six verses, he's talking to the parents, and he's talking to the parents about their life and relationship with God. See, it always comes first of what's your theology of God? What do you understand and know of God? And then personally, how does that affect your life? And so here's how he says it in, in the sixth chapter in verse one. Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe. Now I want you to note that word observe. That you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear, note that word fear. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes. Note that. Keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you. And then notice how it's going to go to future generations. You, your sons, your grandsons, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Then he goes back and he reviews the very same things again. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your father has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, the call there is, do you believe there's only one God or do you have idols and other things you've lifted up above God in your life? There's only one, verse five. You shall love the Lord your God, how much? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. I probably should have made a slide showing these tears, but if you will in your mind, just see a whiteboard here. And I want us to just quickly review what we just read. Start with that very base. And that base would say, love God with all your being. In other words, Moses is talking to these people and he's saying, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do for your children, but he doesn't start with that. It's always your theology. It's always your study and your understanding of God and how it affects your life first. You get that wrong and you're going to get parenting wrong. And so he starts out and he says, listen, do you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, or with all your soul and with all your strength? Do you love God with all? And then right above that, he says, if so, you're going to fear God. Fear God means you place him as high priority. Lord, I will submit to you. I will yield to you in everything. Why? Why everything? Because I love you with all my being. I will fear and I will submit to you. Well, if I'm going to fear God and I'm going to submit to him in everything, what am I going to do? I'm going to listen to him. Lord, teach me. Now we have another layer. Teach me your commandments, your statutes. Why? Because I want to observe them. We make a bad mistake, and we're going to see this again tonight as it relates to our parenting, but right now we're talking about us. We make a bad mistake whenever we think the Christian life is only concentrated on this top tier. Just obey God. Just obey God. You're not going to obey a God that you don't care enough to listen to because you don't fear Him, because you don't love Him with all your being. And so He, he points out this beautiful understanding 
What's your theology of God? What's your understanding of God? He points out this beautiful understanding of God. If you're going to understand God the way God teaches us to understand Him, He's one to be loved with all of our being. He's one to fear. Remember, fear is the beginning of knowledge. And once we fear Him, we say, I want to learn. And when we learn, we say, what are those commandments? And because we love Him and we fear Him, we observe everything that He says. That's where good parenting starts. Kingdom living. Who's the king of your life? The Lord of Lords reigns in my life. Can you honestly say that? If you can honestly say that, what Moses has just described is true in our life. We love him. We fear him. We learn his ways. We observe them. So what do we have here? Well, we're going to get to this in just a minute. But what we have here is a parent that first models before they even teach. All right, but let's see now. So the first focus is focus on God. Notice the second focus, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently. And next slide, we got to notice this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So we say, all right, Lord, what, what do you want us to do? Well, we already know what he wants us to do in our own life. Focus on me. Keep me top priority. Okay, Lord, what's the next thing you want me to do? He says, I, I then want you to focus on the next generation. And here in verse seven, he's talking about your children because he's talking about children that are in your house. So now in verse seven, he turns around and he says, let me talk to parents. Well, Lord, what do you want us to be as parents? And the first thing he says is, I want you to be a teacher. Now, I know that if we have a good understanding of the Word of God, you hear that, and it's, it's, it's almost easy for us to just go over your head because you say, of course we're teachers. But I want to pause here for just a moment and help you realize that we have a culture that is running cross-grain to this. We have a culture that for many years has not expected parents to teach anything. And I want to give you some examples. And I'll go ahead and tell you at the beginning. If you think that, oh, David is saying all this stuff is wrong, I'm not telling you the early things of what I'm saying are wrong. I'm telling you it's forming a culture. And then when it does become wrong is when we take this culture and then apply it to the knowledge of God. All right, so what is our culture? The American culture over the past few hundred of years has strongly developed into a culture that if we understand that a child doesn't know anything or something, we send them off to be taught. We need school system. Let's send them to school and let the school teach them. Well, we did that for a lot of years and, and what did we say? We said, you know what? When kids are getting in first grade, they don't know enough. Well, why don't we start a governmental program called kindergarten? And let's make it mandatory because parents are not capable to do their job. They're not capable of bringing kids to first grade ready to learn. So let's make it mandatory that, that we have to provide it, get them out of their house so that we can educate them. And now you, if you keep up at all, you know the discussion right now in the Capitol right now. Kids coming to kindergarten are not prepared. We are going to make a mandatory, it's being discussed, we're gonna make a mandatory pre-K program because it's never thought about in America today. Who's the first line of education? That's never thought about. How awesome would it be to have a president that stands before the nation and says, 
Parents, to have your kids ready for kindergarten, here are about 10 things that your kids need to know. Be sure they know that before they're five years old. Who would hold parents responsible? Not our culture today. Not at all. You can have babies and not feed them, we'll feed them. You can have babies and not have a house they'll live in, we'll give you a house. You can have babies and never train them and send them to school, we'll train them. The idea of the American culture is if a kid is going to learn anything, we have to get them out of the house. And so what do we do? My child doesn't throw the ball properly. Let me send them to a coach that can train them. My child needs to learn how to play the piano. Let me send them to a teacher that can train them. My child is falling behind in a, in a class. Let me send them to a tutor that can help them get caught up. Now, I'll say it again. You're saying, oh, so David, you think the school system is wrong? You think coaching is wrong? You think, no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm challenging you, though, to ask yourself, have you fallen into the mentality that believes all education is to be done outside the home? As a parent, my only responsibility is, and you fill in the blank. You probably would say, well, my responsibility is put a, a roof over their head. My responsibility is put clothes and food in their belly. What, what, what do you think? But what happens when it comes to teaching? I wonder how many of us, if our heart was revealed, we would say, oh, and I realize my responsibility is to give my child a home, but my first responsibility is not to teach. Wrong. That's where American culture has collided with the will of God and we've messed up. Look, if the school system can help my children, I am glad to partner up with the school system and say, I am thankful that you're here because I have a great responsibility to teach my child. If I can have a music teacher that teaches my child how to play the, the guitar or, or the piano, I can say, thank God for them because I wasn't able to teach them in that way and I'm thankful that I could help them get to that place that they could learn that. And if there's a coach that can help them in a sport or in life, great. I'm thankful. I'm thankful as a parent because that's my responsibility and what I can't do, maybe I can find resources to do. All right, now you know where this is going. So now we ask your child to turn to Zechariah, not on their phone, in the Bible. Can they turn to Zechariah? And if not, whose fault is it? If your child had to write a paragraph about the character of God, about the virtues of God, would it be accurate? And if they don't know God, whose fault is it? If your child was to tell someone about the Lord's church, could they tell about the Lord's church and not describe a denomination? And if not, whose fault is it? God doesn't look to a youth minister or a fifth grade teacher and say, you're not doing your job. God looks at the parents and says, you are to be the ones that teach your children. Now, if you can couple up with a group of Christians in your church family that can help you, 
That's a blessing. But we can never wash our hands of teaching and think some way as a parent, that's not my responsibility. Because that is as far from the truth as it could be. Because the second thing that we see, and, and by the way, keep in mind the first way that we teach is by modeling. Your child will learn more about the Christian faith by watching you live the Christian faith than even the words that you say. But even though that modeling is so important, it is so important for also for you to teach. And notice, he says, teach with diligence. That is, zeal and labor combined is what makes Diligence. Are you zealous to teach your child? Are you laboring in teaching your child? If you had to pull out a calendar and say in the last month, here are the times that I taught my child. I was very in intentional. I was very zealous. I am excited about this. I am thankful for the opportunity that God has given me to have children and to teach them about God. And so we think, how does God look at parents? He looks at parents as teachers. What does he expect? He said, I expect you to teach and I expect you to teach with diligence. What a blessing that is. Because then we know that somebody that really loves our child is the one that's teaching them. And then notice, notice the third thing. Where's the classroom? Don't take for granted that Moses said this. It's powerful. It's powerful what Moses said. Moses said, you know when you're sitting in the house? I want you to be talking about God. I want you to be modeling godly living. I want you to be studying scripture. And then when you go on your way and when you're on your way coming back, I want you to be talking about God. And then when you're laying in bed at night about to go to sleep, say a good word for God. And when you rise up in the morning, maybe it's at breakfast, what are you going to say about God? We have an expression today that's called God talk. Call it whatever you want. But it's the idea of being able to help our children see the will of God in everything. When they look at creation, they need to see that it is the creator who provided all of this. When they see difficult days, they need to see that it's God that will lead them through if they will only learn God's way. And when they see the great days come, we need to teach them to bow on their knees and thank God for all the blessings that he gives, including the difficult days. We model this. We teach this. Moses was trying to get the people ready to cross over. And out of all the things he could have said, he could have talked about that new land. He could have talked about so many things. But isn't it interesting? He said, what about you? Do you love me with all your heart? Do you fear me? Do you know my ways? Are you observing them? If so, make sure now you turn your focus to the next generation and you make sure you realize, parents, you're the one that's to teach the next generation to do those four things. Teach your children to love me with all their heart. Teach them to fear me. It's the beginning of knowledge. Teach them what they are to learn in my commandments and teach them to observe those things. And beautiful things come out of that. This is the way Paul, a spiritual father, if you will, to so many people, look what he said in Philippians 4, 9, and we close. He says, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. 
as a parent, I want to be able to say that to my children. You've learned it because I've taught it. You received it because I offered it to you. You've heard it because I've said it to you. You have seen it in me because I have lived it before you. And then what if we could say all that and say, now you know God. Now you're on the way to eternal life because as a parent, I have offered you all of those things. So what I learned today, number one, I learned that godly parenting starts with parents who know God. Number two, I learned we must be intentional or diligent about teaching our children. Number three, I learned that parents are teachers, or parents as teachers are in session at all times. At the house, out in the way, come in at night, we get up in the morning, where's the classroom? The classroom is at all times. But what are we supposed to accomplish? We've hit on it in one angle already, but tonight we'll go to Psalm 78 and he'll make it very clear of what we as parents are supposed to accomplish in this session of life that is our classroom to help our children meet God. So we're about to sing a song of invitation. Do you know God? Do you love him with all of your being? Are you ready to submit your life to him? Become a Christian. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins because you've learned his will and you're willing to turn away from the world and allow Christ to deliver you from that world into his kingdom. We'd love to assist you with that if you're ready for that this morning. If you have begun that life in the kingdom, but yet you come back to the world and you'd like to go back to kingdom living, it's a much better way to live, not only now, but especially for an eternity.